Welcome to the Dream Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So, John 4, hopefully you're there by now. Uh, let's just go ahead and read. This is going to be awesome. Super familiar. Um, but I believe the Lord has a word for us today. So, John 4, verse 1. I'm in the Passion Translation, but it's pretty close depending on what translation you're in. Uh, here we go. Soon the news reached the Jewish. I'm going to try my best to not stop. I'm going to read it through and then we'll go back, but it's going to be so tempting. So y'all pray for me. Soon the news reached the Jewish leaders. Re, excuse me, let me say that. Soon the news reached the Jewish religious leaders, known as the Pharisees, that Jesus was drawing greater crowds of followers coming to be baptized than John. Although Jesus didn't baptize, but his disciples baptized the people. Uh, Jesus heard what was being said and abruptly left Judea and returned to the province of Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaritan territory. Let me me just say this, and then we'll read the rest. Uh, Here's what's happening. You in John chapter 3. Everybody's super familiar with John 3, specifically John 3.16, but you finish John chapter 3. Jesus' disciples start baptizing people, and John the Baptist, his disciples, and this Jewish man start having this talk back and forth of how big the crowds are that Jesus is drawing. And then Jesus gets word of it, okay? So j- just think about this. Think Just in today's culture, but. So Jesus gets word that people are talking about how big of crowds he's drawing. Immediately, Jesus leaves. Jesus, man, like, man, they're talking about, man, they're talking about these big crowds. Man, you're so popular. Uh, and immediately, he leaves. And it says he has to pass through Samaritan territory. That's that's huge. That's huge. We should put that those couple of verses on some plaques. Um, verse 5. Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph long ago. Wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well. Remember that, Jacob's well. He sent his disciples into the village to buy food, for it was already afternoon. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink of water. Surprised, she said, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? Jesus replied, if you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. The woman replied, but sir, you don't even have a bucket. And this well is very deep. So where do you find this living water? Do you, listen to this, do you really think that you are greater than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it himself along with his children and livestock? Jesus answered, if you drink from Jacob's well, very interesting, it's called Jacob's well and not Israel's well. Jacob. His name was changed to Israel, but this well is called Jacob's well. 
If you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again and again. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never thirst again and will forever be satisfied. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. The woman replied, let me drink that water so I'll never be thirsty again and won't have to come back here to draw water. Okay? Here's Jesus' response. She's open to the gospel at this point. Wide open. Let me drink this water you're offering. Jesus said, go get your husband and bring him back here. I don't know about that, Jesus. That's not a real good way to draw people. Right? Right? Let, Let me drink this water. Awesome. Go get your husband. She says, but I'm not married. That's true, Jesus said, for you've been married five times, and now you're living with a man who is not your husband. You have told the truth. The woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me this. Why do our fathers worship God here on this nearby mountain? It's like squirrel. Why do, God, why do our fathers worship God here on this nearby mountain, but your people teach that Jerusalem is the right place where we must worship, which is right? Jesus says, believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you won't worship the Father on a mountain or in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship. Man, I feel the Holy Spirit all over this. We Jews worship out of our experience, for it's from the Jews that salvation is made available. From here on, worshiping the Father, listen to this, will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is a spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. The woman said, this is all so confusing, but I do know. This is some of my favorite parts of Scripture right here. This is all so confusing, but I know that the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah, and when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. I'm trying my best to not cry. Jesus said to her, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. I am the one you're looking for. Here's another way that's translated I am the I am who speaks to you. Can you imagine this? They honor Moses because through Moses the law came. Moses is the one who's at the burning bush and he says, when I go to them and they ask me who sent me, who do I tell them? And God speaks out of the burning bush and says, you go tell them the I am sent you. So imagine this woman sitting here talking to Jesus. She has no idea. Talk, and she says, when the anointed one, when the Messiah comes, he'll make all things clear. And Jesus looks at her and says, I am the I am that speaks to you. Do you, you I, we, see, re, we read that in our postmodern church, you know, society and all that stuff. You got to, when he says that he is the I am, that rocks everything in her world. 
At that moment, the disciples returned and were stunned to see Jesus speaking with the Samaritan woman. Yet none of them dared to ask him why or what they were discussing. Very smart. All at once, the woman dropped her water jar and ran off to her village and told everyone, Come and meet a man at the well who told me everything I've ever done. Now remember, the things he told her, that everything she's ever done were not good things. So he, she literally is saying, Come and meet a man who brought all of my sin to the light. He could be the anointed one we've been waiting for. Hearing this, the people came streaming out of the village to go see Jesus. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 39. The rest of that's really good, but I really want to focus on this part. Verse 39. So there were many from the Samaritan village who became believers in Jesus. Why? Because of the woman's testimony, which was, He told me everything I ever did. Then they begged Jesus to stay with them, so he stayed there for two days, resulting in many more coming to faith in him because of his teaching. Then the Samaritans, I'm going to stop right here. Then the Samaritans said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you told us. Now we've heard him for ourselves and are convinced that he really is the true Savior of the world. I could dismiss y'all right there. So this story makes a lot more impact when you understand the reality of what was going on. So let me just explain something real quick. Who were Samaritans? Okay? Because when we read this story, we find it kind of odd that she's saying, you're a Jew, why would you talk to me? You know what I mean? It's this kind of a passing fact that we kind of move beyond. That, that's huge. So here, these, these were the Samaritans. This is this lady. When the ten tribes of Israel, so back in 2 Kings, uh, Judah and Israel had split into kingdoms, okay? So there were ten tribes in Israel, and then Judah uh, was separate from them. Judah and Israel were split in the, at the time, their kingdom. So uh, when the ten tribes of Israel got carried into exile by Assyria, the Assyrian king sent people back to inhabit Samaritan, or excuse me, Samaria. Uh, these facts don't mean a lot, but I'm kind of giving you a background if you want to go back and study. Uh, this is in 2 Kings 17 and Ezra 4. You can go back and read about this. Uh, so these people that were sent back to inhabit Samaria by the king of Assyria, they intermarried with the Israelites that remained in the land. When they did... The Samaritans, as they would be called, worshipped idols. Okay, They were idol, they were other God worshippers. But in 2 Kings 17, uh, they got threatened by lions because they were idol worshippers, because they didn't worship the Lord. Okay, So when they realize this, they bring in teachers to teach them how to worship or honor Yahweh so that these lions can be taken from them, okay? Uh, so they were taught the Jewish way of worship and had a religion. Listen to this. This is where it's really important. Their religion was half idol worship and half God worship. So they worshiped God for the benefits of God, and outside of that, they worshiped other idols, okay? They were literally called 
half-breeds. That's what they were called. Now, I, I didn't know this until I did some research. The only time I've ever heard language, half-breeds, pure-breeds, all that stuff, is when it comes to, like, dogs or animals. Um, but in studying this, I realized that has some negative connotations. Um, so I just want to lay it out there. Obviously, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? But I, I, I just wanted to lay that out there so I don't get any emails. So, um, because it inevitably, inevitably would have happened. So they were considered half-breeds. Why? Because they half-worshipped idol, half-worshipped God. Um, because also they intermarried with the Israelites and simply adopted their religion. So the Jews despised them. So the Jews despised Samaritans because they, were, they, they weren't legit. They were half. Okay? So the woman at the well was a half-breed, meeting Yeshua, the model of what it means to be a full-breed. Y'all with me? Okay. What brought Jesus here? Remember, he said he had to go through Samaritan territory. Let me just get up for a second. This is about to be so cool. You ready? Some of y'all have never heard this in this story. He, he's baptizing people. He gets word everybody is talking about. Not the miracles, not the people who are being saved, not the people who are dying to their Adam self. He gets word that the word on the street is Jesus is grow, drawing bigger crowds than John. You understand this? They're, they're not going, man, did you see that guy? That guy's leg grew out. You know, or that leprous guy, Jesus just touched him. He wasn't afraid of leprosy. He just touched him and he was healed. It's not, they were saying, man, Jesus, man, he's drawing some big crowds. John, you see that? He's drawing bigger crowds than you. Jesus hears that the success of his ministry in that moment is being judged by how big of crowds he has and immediately leaves to go deal with the pretender. Are y'all with me? I know, I know it's like coronavirus day and everybody's sleeping. But so he leaves the place where they're talking about his crowds and has to go to Samaria to deal with pretenders. So he goes to the well, Jacob's well, where a woman comes up and continually feeds from this well. So let's say this is the well. Okay? All the Samaritans drink from this well. It's Jacob's well. They honor it, all that stuff. Jesus walks up, and he literally sits on the well. And some of the translations, some of the wording he used is Jesus became a lid to the well. So he sits on the well. The woman shows up, and Jesus starts having a conversation with her. And he says, can you give me a drink of water? How many of you know Jesus did not need that woman to give him a bucket of water? So he wasn't talking about liquid. He was saying, I want a drink of who you are. That's literally what he says, give me a drink of water, your water. She says, listen, I'm just trying to come get my water go back home. You're a Jew. Why are you even talking to me? You, you know what I'm saying? 
And I start realizing this. Who is Jacob? It's not a trick question, okay? Jacob, let me remind you, I said this earlier. Jacob in Genesis gets his name changed. So the nation of Israel is called the nation of Israel because they are descendants of Israel. Israel is what Jacob's name got changed to by God. This isn't called Israel's well. It's Jacob's well. So who was Jacob? Jacob was the one that dressed up and pretended to be Esau so that he could steal Esau's blessing. Jacob was a pretender. So this lady, a half-breed, was continually drinking from the pretender's well. (laughs) That's why Jesus said, if you drink from the pretender's well, you'll be thirsty again and again. In other words, as long as you're drinking from that, because you're pretending to be somebody that really you're not, you're going to continually have to come and get a drink to keep the facade going. But if you drink from me, I'll end the pretender in you, and you'll never be thirsty again. And what we, what we have in our society is a lot of half-breeds. People who worship God while also worshiping idols, primarily themselves. And I, I don't want to like bring up this thing, but just look, just look at our response over the past couple of weeks. Just, just take this, okay? Remember, we, we are a country founded on the Lord. Pull out a dollar or a quarter or a penny or whatever out of your pocket. And do you know what it says? In God we trust. Are we sure? Thank you. I can't always count on you. I just think, just, just, I'm, I'm asking you to just think for a minute. That's all I'm asking. In, in America, my goal in life is just to get people to think. So just think, think. On our current, in God we trust. Where'd that come from? It came from some people who came over and founded a country on trusting the Lord. We are a Christian country. We just are. You know, I say this a lot. People are like, you know, we're founded, we're a country that they wanted to come and let people worship whoever they want. No, 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 no. That, that's not who we are. Freedom of religion was set in place for them to be able to worship God because where they were in Britain, they were suppressed from worshiping the Lord. So they set up freedom of religion so that they could worship the Lord. Not so that people could turn to Buddha. Or, or what's that thing that people are doing out, the Enneagram or whatever? Like junk like that? Right? It, it, that's, not, that's not who we are. Who we are is in God we trust. So the past couple of weeks, I've watched Christians... I've watched Christians over and over and over and over be crippled in fear. Crippled in fear. Good pass. Right? Right? Amen. So 
what, what does that tell me? I, I told somebody this week, here's something good that's come out of all this. At least we know where we are. Like, you know what I mean? Like here, Here's something great that's come out of this whole thing. At least people can stop listening to sermons on a podcast and say, man, where is he getting all that? Don't need that anymore. Look at Facebook. That's all we need. It's like we, we are not purebred. We are half-breeds. We're pretenders. Okay. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he goes on to say, you can't serve God and money. Let me, let me say this. You can't serve God and serve fear. Let me ask you this question. Would everyone agree, full participation, this is, this is not a trick, anything like that. Would everyone agree that in order to be saved, you must be fully born again? Would everybody agree on that? Does anybody have any kind of, like, pushback on that? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm talking about, so to, to be saved, you must fully die to the old and born again into the new. We're good. Okay, so by your logic, you cannot be 80%, 90%, or even 99% saved. Right? That was y'all, not me. Y'all did that. Okay? Okay. So if someone is still holding fear from their old life, but repeated a prayer and grabbed hold of good morals, did they fully get born again after a full death? So, so this is the thought. Jesus comes. He was okay with tax collectors. He was okay with prostitutes. He was okay with sinners. There was one group of people that he was not cool with. And you know who it was? Pretenders. That was the one group. He was okay. He was okay with people being fully cold because at least they had an identity. But the lukewarm people, that's the ones that drove him crazy. Because the Pharisees were those who kept the laws better than everyone. Yet when the Messiah comes, the fulfillment of the very laws that they all lived their lives by, they had no clue who he was. Yet a woman at a well gets an invitation into a drink of living water that would become a spring flowing up out of her where she would never thirst again. The Pharisees did not get that invitation. The woman at the well who was in sin got that invitation. Do you know why? Because he wasn't looking for people who pretended to be in love with him. He was looking for people who were in spirit and in truth worshipers. So she got access to a measure of encounter that up to that point, very few people had had with God in history because she was willing to admit where she was in life and let him say, sweet, now that you're not hiding anything, let me tell you who you really are. Right? Let me say this. He can't fix your identity as long as you're wearing a mask. 
The first step to you being new is removing the mask and letting him see all the parts you've spent so long hiding. But once he sees that, you can be completely transformed. So we, and I say we because I've been a part of this in my life, we have made salvation cheap. We really have. Jesus paid an exquisite price for an extravagant salvation that is not you going from death to half-breed. It's you going from death to life. You know what I mean? He did not die so that we could repeat a prayer and hold death in this hand and a little bit of good morals in this hand. He paid a great price for something that was so valuable, he was willing to trade it all to have you. If you were the only one, I know you hear this a lot, but if you were the only one who said yes to him, he still would have traded it all for you. Why? Because there is treasure within your life that if you will allow him to dig it up and pull it out of you in the dirt and the mess and the sin or whatever you want to call it, when he pulls that out, you'll actually begin to be everything he knit you together in your mother's womb to be. He traded everything and was beaten to death, not for us to go to church on Sunday. He traded everything and was beaten to death because he wanted you back in that garden. That, that's it. If, if he died for church on Sunday, he prayed a big price for something that was not worth that price. But if he died so that you could live and so that you could get your garden back and so that you could get your face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth back, then what he paid for was the right price. Moses met with the Lord, not face-to-face like your Bible says, bad translation. He met with the Lord mouth-to-mouth. The only translation for what we've put face in there. You know why we did that? You know why in your Bible, if you read through Exodus, it says the the Lord met with Moses face to face. You know why they put face in there? Not because it's the right translation. It's not. Because they thought it would be weird if we put mouth to mouth. That is totally legit. Let me help you out. Moses met with Yahweh lip to lip. That is the only translation of that word in the Hebrew is lip. And see, when I say that, people start squirming. Oh, man, that's, that's, especially guys. That's, that's weird. I don't know about that. How do you have life? How did he breathe life into you? Had to kiss your lips. Do you know what I'm saying? See, see we, we've made the gospel distant and cheap. It's primarily distant, but very cheap. You know what I mean? So we've said, come into this. And, man, we'll teach you how to be at peace. We'll teach you how to be happy. We'll teach you how to read your, your uh, Bible app verse of the day. We'll, te- <laughs> we'll, we'll teach you how to do all this stuff. Just, just come on. Just come on. Just come on in. Come on in. We got free coffee. We got free T-shirts. Come on in. Right? While Jesus is saying, man, if you ever unlock your heart, I got something way better than a T-shirt for you. I got life to the full. And that is the exquisite price, okay? Let me give you a definition. If you just Google uh, or Webster's, here's what a half-breed is. So some of you, if you have dogs or whatever, you already know all this. But 
a, a half-breed is offspring of parents with a, of a different kind. So I don't know anything about dogs, but if you took one kind of dog and they, you know, were in love with another kind of dog, <laughs> breeded with another kind of dog, it would produce a half-breed, right? Okay, offspring of two different kind of parents. A pure breed or a full breed is offspring of parents of the same kind without mixture of any blood or other kind. Okay, y'all good? Y'all with me? So, half breed, parents of a different kind, full breed, offspring of parents of the same kind. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, became half breeds. The presence of the Lord did not leave them, but they got kicked out of their garden. So they spend the rest of the Old Covenant, the rest of the Old Testament, going back and forth, back and forth between sin and life. Sin, spending most of their time in sin, but sin and life, sin and life. And then Jesus comes and deals with the sin piece. And once you take care of the sin piece, there's only one piece left, life. To be in life but to also operate in something that Jesus actually took care of is delusion. Right? So that's why Jesus comes up and he says, I'm going to need you to stop drinking from the pretender's well. I'm going to need you to drink from this well that will never leave you thirsty again. She chases a rabbit. I can relate. And says... Hey, that's cool. Why do our fathers worship God here on this nearby mountain? And your people teach that Jerusalem is the right place that we need to worship. And he says, nah, you can worship wherever you want. I'm not concerned with where you are. I'm concerned with your heart. From here on, the father, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. He longs to have sincere worshipers that worship and adore him in the realm of the Spirit and in truth. <clears throat> in Revelation 3, a lot of you have heard this passage. Jesus writes to the church of Laodicea, and he says this through John. He says, I'd rather you be hot, y'all know this verse, or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Everybody know that verse? Okay. So, so Jesus meets a lady who in some capacity worshiped Yahweh, yet had many different men she had been sleeping with. She worshiped God while holding on to sin. The, let me, just, stop, let me just, just throw this in here real quick and then I'm going to move on. We, I want to say this right, we have made grace a vehicle to allow people to live in half-breed status. We, we've made grace this, okay? We've made great grace this. Once saved, always saved. Yes, I believe that. Once you're saved, he keeps you in your hand. Awesome, awesome. So here's what we said. Because you can't lose your salvation, Man, just relate to the world. Just go do what you need to do. We'll welcome you. Just, just, just be you. Live your truth. 
right? And we've let grace be the vehicle for people to be apathetic. And so we wonder why when a virus hits our country, why Christians start losing their brains. We, we wonder that. I can tell you exactly why we're in this place. Because we've spent 50 years telling the Lord that he's on Pluto. He's way at a distance. He doesn't heal anymore. He doesn't speak anymore. He doesn't care about us anymore. But praise the Lord, we got a book. And hey, y'all, Grace, y'all just have fun. We're going to reach the masses. We spent 50 years driving him away, and then something comes against us, and we wonder why people are losing their minds. It's because peace that passes all understanding does not come through great morals. It comes through Jesus Christ who died for you to be free of fear. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. What? In this world, you will face things, but take heart, it's all good. I've already overcome those things you will face. They're in a storm. The boat's being tossed and turned, and Jesus is sound asleep. Why? Because in this world, you'll have trouble. Take heart. I've already overcome the world. I just got to go speak to it, so I'm going to get my rest. Right? They're freaking out. We, we, better clo- we better close this thing down. We got to hunker down. We gotta show, We can't be traveling out here. Man, it's stormy. And Jesus gets up and he says, hey, y'all, where is your faith? Why'd you wake me up to speak to the storm when you should have spoke to the storm? Pe- people don't like that. People don't like that. Don't know why. People hate that. Right? Why else would Jesus say, where is your faith? Not because they were, Jesus was sound asleep. Because he was saying, why didn't you tell the storm to stop? Then he turns around almost to say, here's what you should have done. He looks out and he says, hush. That's the translation. He says, hush, and immediately it stops. And then immediately they're transported to the other side. Right? Right? So, so, so I, I could just see Jesus saying, hey, while y'all are freaking out, let me ask y'all something. Where is your faith? We live by faith, not by sight. So, right? So we'll watch the news, start freaking out. I, I don't live by sight. I live by faith. And my, my Bible says a thousand could fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it can't come near me. That's what, that's what mine says. I don't know what y'all says. That's what mine says. Let, let me just, let me, here, let's just, while we're having fun, real quick. Are y'all good? I mean, nobody's got anywhere to be, so. Just <laughs> mine's well. Keep y'all here, right? Some of y'all want to go to restaurants. They closed. <laughs> or Walmart. I keep, I, I keep trying to figure out what people are going to do with all that toilet paper. You know what I mean? It's like people, it's like when a hurricane's coming, people go out bread and milk. It's like, what, what are y'all going to do with bread and milk? You know what I mean? Toast? I don't, you know. <laughs> like, li- all right. Listen to this. Some of y'all have never heard this. Here we go. Psalm 121 says this, You will be guarded by God himself. You will be safe when you leave your home, and safely you will return. He will protect you now 
and he'll protect you forevermore. I mean, we could do this all day, but just, just one more, just one more, just one more. Even in a time of disaster, with thousands and thousands being killed, you will remain unscathed and unharmed. I'm just going back to John 4. I'm not going anywhere else. And so I'm, I'm reading this this week. I have a zeal. Some, I mean, some of y'all can see this. All of us should have this. I have a zeal for the Lord that has made me real intolerant of religion. I mean, I, I thought that the deeper that we went into this move of the Lord, the less I would care about religion. And I, and I really, I have found myself caring a lot more about it than I ever did. And, and it's because I, there, there is such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is waiting for the pretender to die so that he can release it, but he will not release it on the pretender. Why? Because if he poured new wine into an old wineskin, it would break the wineskin and waste the wine. So what is he going to do? He's going to wait for us to get so uncomfortable that we actually start to pour out the old junky wine that's been in us so that he can baptize us in an anointing that will make us so stretchable that he can pour out the most uncomfortable wine we've ever encountered and we'll be totally pliable in it. Right? Okay. So, bring it back. He says, verse 13 and 14, he says this. John 4 is still there. Um, he says, if you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again. But if, you, if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never thirst again and forever be satisfied. When you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. She says, let me drink this. He says, go get your husband. This is a, a, a massive part of this. She asked for his water, but before Jesus would give her the spring, he first had to deal with the sin. This, this was Jesus' Jesus evangelistic strategy, his strategy for evangelism. This was it. Go get your husband. Right, so a lot of us, man, Jesus, that that is not a way to reach the lost. Boy, that, you know, that partying with tax collectors, right on time. But go get your husband, I I ain't so sure about that one. There There was one person that initiated cities being transformed in a short amount of time. All right, hang with me, I'm almost done. Let me just read this. Let me read this uh, little footnote right here. Although unnamed in the biblical account, church tradition identifies the Samaritan woman to be Fotini, her name. If you just search the internet, you'll yield many interesting stories about her post conversion ministry. 
including her being named as an apostle of Jesus, her eventual martyrdom, regardless of the validity of those extra-biblical references, she will go down in history as the first New Testament evangelist to win an entire city for Christ. God is faithful to use anyone to reach others when we are honest to tell others that Jesus knows everything we've ever done and still loves us. Go get your husband. She, she had an encounter with the I am. And as he's talking to her about everything he wants to release in her life, the first step to her getting that living water is go get your husband. Now, why have we, why have we missed that? You know what I mean? Why, why have we thought we're going to be able to release new wine into a culture that first refuses to go get their husband? Do, do you understand that? Like, as a leader, the best thing I can do for Columbia is to, to use this, is to speak. This is what the Lord wants to do, but the first step into what the Lord wants to do is go get your sin. In other words, go get what you've been sinning in, bring it here because I'm going to take care of it right now. That doesn't mean she never sinned again. That doesn't mean she was perfect the rest of her life. It means he took the half part of her that's still associated with Adam, put it into it so that she could be a pure breed, Jesus Christ, Christian, and then go into a city that only knew her for her sin and say, I've met a man that brought all my sin into the light, but now that he's brought all of my sin into the light, I know nothing of who I was except for who I am in this spring. And so the rest of the city says, if that girl got transformed, we got to go meet this guy. I mean, think about this. We do this today. Man, y'all know so-and-so? She just got married for the fifth time. That's, that's what we do, especially in the church. Y'all know something? Man, he's, he's been married six times. Can you believe that? And they're letting him lead worship. Right? So, so think about that in the context of their living in the law at this point. They're, they're, this isn't post-salvation. This isn't post-the-cross. This isn't post-resurrection. They're still living in the law. And within the law, somebody like this was in trouble for their life, potentially. So, so she was the talk of the... T they knew her business. So for this lady to go into a city that everybody knew of her Adam self, and this time be gushing with a new spring that wasn't from the pretender's well... That was from Yeshua's well. They're looking at her and seeing such a transformation that they're saying, if she looks like this now, what could we look like? And they all go out. They all go meet Jesus. They beg him to stay for two days. And then they say this. We no longer believe just because of what the woman told us. 
Now we believe because of what he himself has told us. So you want to know how we transform a city? It's to take a couple of people who are willing to let Jesus expose the atom into the light so that they can actually be transformed, and then their life transformed will become a gushing spring of living water that everyone else around her or him will start drinking and tasting, and that stream will become his stream, and his stream become their stream, and their stream become their stream, and all of a sudden you're in a city that is exploding of Holy Spirit streams because one person was willing to let the pretender die. This is powerful. People wonder, I wonder a lot why people listen to this podcast. Because I'm, I'm not the greatest preacher on planet earth by any means. Don't care to be. I really don't. I, ne- I, do, I do not sit around in my office and say, man, how can I word this sermon to sound real cool? Never. In fact, a lot of times I'll have some cool stuff written and make it uncool just on purpose. You know what I'm saying? But I often wonder, why do people listen? Why when we go to Norway... We're just, we're just doing our thing. We're playing worship songs. Our sound isn't even that great that night. Like it, you know what I mean? It's just, but we're going down there, and we're just being us. And then we leave, and people are completely just blown away by the, not by us, by the presence of the Lord that came with us. And so I'm like, why, why does that happen? Why do, people, why do you, right now watching this, why are you watching this? We, we're not a 10,000-person church. We're a 40-person church. So if you're going to spend your time listening to something, why us? I'll tell you why. Because they're not hearing a good message. They're tasting a spring of living water. When we get together on Tuesday nights, the reason it's so powerful is because everybody's bringing their own stream. And when we get together and those streams start flowing together, the Holy Spirit begins to explode in a way that if we were showing up as Jacob's wells drinkers, he could not. And the reason that a lot of people in this room are allowing a spring of living water to flow out of you is because you've allowed him to stare the pretender in your life down until it died. That's my story. I would lay in the floor morning after morning after morning after morning so uncomfortable because of him touching the pretender. I spent years and years and years and years, my whole life, I spent building up the pretend Josh. So when I led worship in front of thousands of people, I did not want them to see the real me. I wanted them to see the polished me. I wanted them to see the, the big spiritual, inspirational Cool dressing. God, that's what I wanted. I spent hours picking out my clothes on Sunday mornings. I, I would. And I, I'm not the only one. I am not. That's the norm. You, you understand? Why? Because something in us as a church country, as a church, we something in us has shifted from honoring the Lord to making sure nobody's mad at us and everybody likes us. That's what we've we've shifted from being people who minister to the Lord, which is the call of the church, by the way. 
is to minister to the Lord and instead flipped it and said, we don't really need to minister to the Lord. We'll just minister to all the people. Here's the issue. When you minister to all the people exclusively, all you get is a back and forth between people. And I love people. But when you start ministering to the Lord, you get a back and forth between the Lord and his people. And when that happens, the prophetic enters the room, healing enters the room, tongues enter the room, fire enter the room, and all of a sudden those who walked in as pretenders are exposed in love so that they can be reality of what they pretended to be for so long. Everything that we pretend to be is actually who we could be authentically if we would let him stare the pretender in the face. But the only way to do that is for us to take the mask that we have on and take it off. And some of you have never done that. I had never done that until about five years ago. The only person who knew who I really was was my wife. No one else. And she's probably, she's probably thinking, amen. I, you know, I'd be on stage, you know, like, let's go, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's probably thinking like, I heard what you said the other night. That don't sound, you know. <laughs> I can admit it. You know why? Because I ain't, I ain't pretender. Y'all can think whatever you want about me. This is not about me. This is not about our worship team. This is about Yeshua and his face being so tangible and opaque that every single person in this city, when they encounter me, they encounter him. I told somebody, maybe it was Paul, we were talking last week. When, when you come on Tuesdays, that's a dangerous for me. Because we'll start talking and be like, man, it's 3 o'clock, all right. Um, but we're talking, and it's amazing how when you encounter people who aren't believers, they should never be able to say they don't know who Jesus is. I should be able to say hello to somebody and immediately they know exactly who Jesus is. I, so so we, we as a church, y'all know this, do very few, in fact, I don't even, I don't remember anything that we've ever done, salvation services. Because that, that's not the call of the church. It's the call of the people in the church. But when we walk in this room, we are seeking his face and his face alone. And if that saves people, awesome. He did it. But the goal of that is for you to have such a spring of living water flowing out of you that when you go to work, as you're walking by coworkers, that spring starts spilling on people. What did David, David said? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, and I say this a lot. In other words, if you just get a taste, you'll know. So, so, our job, I should be walking through downtown Columbia, and I should be just, just spilling water on people. Because here's what happens. If my spring is the spring of living water, the water they taste from my life is not Josh. The water they taste from my life is the same water I tasted from his life. And, and this is the danger that we get in, is a lot of people will start drinking from a pastor's well. So, so, so the pastor will leave the church or move on, and the church won't survive. Because everybody was drinking from his well or her well. I do not, let me be clear, I do not ever want anybody to drink from my well. 
However, I implore you, is that the right word? Okay. To drink from his will that is within me. Do you hear that? So, so I should not be the only word of the Lord that you get on a weekly basis. I beg you, you have stopped so short, it's not even funny if that's the case. My word is not even close to the word he wants to speak to you if you'll wake up a little bit earlier tomorrow morning. Not even close, right? All I do, my job is to fuel you Monday through Sunday to be in the secret place. That is my job. My job is to just tear down veils in your life so that he can speak. My job is not to be him speaking to you exclusively through me. Now, if he speaks through me to you, awesome. But my job is to send you to his feet because if that happens, this church won't be about me or anybody else. It'll be about his feet. And if we ever leave his feet, we'll have to close the doors because that's what it's all about. If Jesus took his hand off of this church, we would have to close the doors because everything we do is him. Every single thing we do, more of him, more of him, more of him, more of him. If you remove that from the equation, I don't know what we would do. So I believe today, I, I thought it was really funny. Uh, I had this thought for a point zero 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 one seconds if I should preach on, you know, like fear and, and, and stuff like that. And, uh, and man, the Lord had a real good conversation with me. And uh, number one, I, and I'm not saying people do this, but I, like, I, 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 I'm not going to profit off the devil. I'm just not. I'm not. I, I'm not going to preach on fear because fear is completely irrelevant to me and it should be irrelevant to you. So for me to preach on fear would be for me to preach on something that is a foreign concept to us. I don't fear. I fear nothing. Sometimes the stomach bug, but the Lord has fixed that. Just kidding. I just hate throwing up. But, again, being authentic. Um, but the Lord has taken care of that, too. That was a joke. That was a joke. I know people are going to, you know, I thought you were faithful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But seriously, I, I, fear, I fear nothing, and neither should you. Why? Because God himself protects me. God is my refuge. Do you know what a refuge is? A covering. And if God is my refuge, then every single thing that wants to attack me has to go through him first. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. You know what I'm saying? Anything For this virus to get to you, you better make sure it's got to go through him first. And the only way you do that is by stopping the process of continually drinking from a pretender's well, a religious well, and instead get one sip of living water that becomes an exploding fountain within you. Because then, instead of continually going back to the same well that leaves you thirsty, you can actually start to live like somebody who is never thirsty. So, so for example... The only way we'll close church is if Henry McMaster himself specifically says churches cannot meet. It, unless that happens, just to be clear, we are having church, okay? Just to, just to be on, and if y'all need to stay home, you totally can. Um, and there will be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But we were talking about this morning, and... 
We should be able to close the doors of this church for three months and never miss a light bill and every single person come back after that three months deeper than they were the three months before. Do you know what I'm saying? We, so I don't, I don't fear that at all. If we have to close for five months, the, the Lord's going to provide. That, I do not fear that. But, but I think this is a great moment for us to have a little bit of a gut check. You know what I'm saying? I think this is an awesome moment. I think this is the Lord is going to use this to let people know where they are. I think right now, today, the Lord is, is speaking to some people, go get your husband. I, I can feel that all over me, that the Lord, hey, go get your fear. I want to give you a drink of living water. First thing I'm going to need you to go, go get your fear. You know what I'm saying? What are, what are you married to? What are you in union with? Fear? Depression? Right? The joy of the Lord is your strength. If you don't have joy, you have no strength. But the only way that you can get joy is to get it through the Lord. Right? So, so we have to, let me just say that. I'm going to Lord, Lord, help me, please. Please. Because I know that nobody has anywhere to go, and that's so dangerous. Um, if it's your first time, I'm so glad you're here. So, We have to teach people. We, we have to teach people how to be happy and how to have peace and how to have joy and have all that stuff. Do you know why we have to do that? Let me tell you this. If I have to teach you how to be happy, what does that mean? You're not happy. Right? If I, if I have to teach you how to have peace, that means you don't have peace. So what are we doing when we try to teach people how to have joy? is we're actually reinvigorating the pretender. So in other words, I need to teach you how to pretend to be happy. I need to teach you how to pretend to have peace. I need to teach you how to pretend to have hope. I need to teach you how to pretend to have faith. Why do we have to do that? Because nobody wants to stare at somebody and say, go get your husband. I'm telling you today, if we could get to the feet of Jesus, all of that stuff would be covered. I've never taught a message on joy, and yet everybody in this church has more joy than any other place I've been around. Never. You know why? Because everybody in this church is going after more and more and more and more, and what we used to be taught was unaccessible. Now we're getting the keys to. What, what The places in the kingdom where people in my past used to say, don't go there. Stop, right? That's too far. Right now, I'm hearing whispers in my life. No, go ahead. Keep going. Don't stop here. You start seeing angels around your house, don't stop there. Keep going. You start seeing the face of the Lord in your life, don't stop there. Keep going. I mean, I, I refuse to stop until I got access to go in between whatever dimension I want. Now, brother, I don't, you know, brother, I don't know about that. That's cool. You can stay in this dimension all you want. I'm not staying here. I'm not. If he's there, I'm there. If I'm seated in heavenly places, I refuse to stay seated here. <laughs> Brother, I just, yeah, I just don't know about just don't know all that. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Y'all go buy toilet paper. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> he called himself the bread of life. Never mind, I'll stop right there. 
Yeah, but y'all, y'all know what I'm saying? See, this is fun. See, I, I used to be afraid. I used to encounter things, and I was like, I can't tell anybody about this. They'll think, I, I'll think I'm crazy. They'll tell me, stop. Now I'm encountering things, and I'm like, man, I got to go talk to Spencer. Dude, he's going to love this. You know what I'm saying? Or, or fill in the blank, anybody in here. Ellington. Ellington gets sick of me talking. Because we'll show but like, hey, man, how was your week? Good. How was your week? So in John 4, and it's five hours later, you know what I'm saying? And I know people get so sick of it. I can't help it because there's something springing up on the inside of me that has to come out. I can't contain it. I can't, and neither should you. You should go to work and people, how was your weekend? Man, we, man, I don't, this thing is just crazy. How was your weekend? Hey, it was awesome. I ain't afraid. What do you mean you're not afraid? You're 65. You should be very afraid. I'm not afraid. You know what I'm saying? We ran out of toilet paper last night. I'm not afraid. So I, I saw somebody, you know, have you have y'all ever been to CVS and you get like five mile long receipts? Man, talk about saving the planet. Shut down CVS, we'll save the planet. Um, but I saw somebody, did, y- did y'all see this? Yeah, I saw somebody the other day that had the uh, receipt wrapped around a toilet paper roll. And they were like, these CVS receipts have now come into handy or whatever. I thought it was so funny. Um, okay, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. Where's Daniel? Can you hop up here? My brother, the first time they meet Jesus is because of the woman's testimony. They leave with living water because of the testimony they got from his mouth himself. So, so her stream led to a city's stream because one man was willing to deal with the half-breed pretender in her an entire region went from pretenders to pure breeds. Don't check out right here, okay? Remember, the entire, it wasn't just this lady. Every single Samaritan was labeled by the Jews half-breeds. So Jesus goes into the region of not just one woman pretender, of an entire region filled with pretenders. He goes into that region. He does not hold a mass crusade. And I think those are great. He sits at a well and deals with one person. Jesus goes into a region where he has to go. He gets a divine inkling, a divine pulling towards a region of half-breeds that the Jews did not associate with. I mean, this wasn't something that Jesus would have been like, hey, let's go hang out in Samaria today. This was a region they avoided. They hated Samaritans. So Jesus goes into this place that no other Jew has gone. They avoid it. Goes into the place and says, you know what? If I'm going to transform this city... I need to find one person who's willing to go from half-breed to pure-breed. Not the whole, because he knew if he could just get one stream of living water flowing in the region, the whole region would have a stream of living water. Think about this. Think about this. I've saved this for the end. Let me get my chair out of the way so I can like show you this real quick. John 3, Jesus is being commended for the crowds he's drawing. He leaves, 
goes into the place that is full of pretenders and says, they all thought I was doing something because of my crowds. Let me show you. I'm going to save this whole region with one person. Let me say like this. For Jesus, it's more successful for one person to move from death to life than a large group of people to be living half dead and half alive. That's a word, that is a word right now for this country. It is more important for Jesus for five people to legitimately die to themselves and legitimately rise into being seated with him than thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands coming in, repeating a prayer and living half dead most of the time and every now and then alive. He cares a lot more about that. That's why I am consumed with zeal for the Lord, for those who are the remnant that remain in a country that has turned away from the Lord. The Lord gave me this word. I don't have my Bible. It's, um, I don't have Isaiah up here. It's okay. It's Isaiah 6. Isaiah is in the temple. He gets this vision. He sees the Lord's train, the train of his robe, fill the temple. The Lord says, who will go for us? Isaiah says, here I am, send me. They go through that whole, whole ordeal, and then the Lord speaks a prophetic word. This is how I'm going to end today. He speaks a prophetic word, and this is the word the Lord gave me Friday morning that this is where we are. This is where we are. He says, I'm going to cut, I'm, I'm powerful, I'm going to cut Israel down. However, the stump of the tree that I cut down will be the holy seed. And I believe right now what's happening is the Lord is in the process of going through and he's saying anything that is a pretender in love for my people has got to go. And he's cutting and he's cutting and he's cutting and the tree has fallen and there's a stump of that tree that remains and he says now that we got it down to the stump that's the seed I need and I believe for over the past two years we have gone through so many people coming in and leaving if, if everybody that came into this church stayed we, could, we would not be able to fit them in this room am I lying right I mean, it had to be hundreds of people that have come in the room, you know, for whatever reason, never came back. And I used to, I used to, in the beginning especially, used to be so mad. And, you know, Lord, I thought you were blah, 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 blah. And now, two and a half years later, the Lord's saying, I cut it down. Now that I got down to the stump, there's a holy seed right there. And he is about to draw a tree out of this holy stump that is literally identified as the tree of life. And I saw this in a vision. I saw in a vision that the Lord cut the tree of the knowledge of good and evil down to its stump and out of the stump grew up the tree of life. I saw this in a vision the other day. Why do I say all this? I say this because there are some of you 
who are living in a half-breed pretender reality where you come to church, you might read your Bible every now and then, but you're still holding on to who you used to be in one hand and trying to hold on to him in the other. And today in love, he's saying, I want to give you a drink of something that you will never thirst again. Why do people continually party and continually drink and continually do drugs and continually pursue relationships and continually do all that? Why do people do that? Because they'll get a taste, they'll be satisfied for a moment, but then they always have to go back for another taste because it never leaves them satisfied, right? He offers you a taste of water that you will never have to be unsatisfied again to the point where you've got to go back. This time, he's offering you such a drink of living water that the source of it will be planted within you. That's literally what he's telling her. He's saying, you keep having to come back to this well because this is the source. If you'll get a drink of me, I'll put the source in you and you'll never have to go anywhere else for it. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information, visit dreamcolumbia.com.